Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. It is episode 72, and we're going to talk about all the new spooky flicks that were released over Halloween weekend, right? No, no, we're not. Not this time because it's 2020. It's another week without a single new film of any significant note to discuss, so we found no better time than Election Day to kick things off with a pick six of our favorite presidential films of all time. Which will then lead us into the throwback challenge, in which Andy challenged me with Ray McKinnon's Oscar-winning short film, The Accountant, from 2000, and I gave him Wong Kar Wai's acclaimed hit, Chunking Express, from 1994. So, Andy, let's um, we can discuss presidential films. We'll, we're going to do that, but let's stay away from from any election day talk, shall we? So yeah, we can do that. I mean, I think the rest of the world's doing that for us. So let's just just dig into this. Well, it's election day, and it's no secret that those of us here at the Film Harmonic are hoping we have a new president by the time the next episode rolls around. And with all this focus on all things presidential, we decided to rank the six best films about U.S. presidents, both fictional and historical. Um, so this, um, I thought, was going to be like a big list to sift through. Yeah. And it turns out that um, not only are there not a ton but there's not a whole lot of great ones either. I was kind of surprised. I don't, I don't know why I thought otherwise. But Yeah, I mean, there are a few. <clears throat> there's a few more than six to choose from, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. There are also some that I had to look at and go, okay, I need to rewatch that because it's been a really long time. Yeah. So I needed to reassess a lot of these too. Which is what I did. And there were a couple that I was like, how much is this actually about like the president or or a presidential event or anything like that? Yeah, there were a couple where I was like, you know what? This needs to be reserved for next week. Yeah. Honestly. Was, yep. Same here. Same here. There's a couple that like kind of fit into both. Yeah. Um, there is a there there's, you know, there's a couple that it's just like, well, yeah, the president shows up, but like that ain't about the president. It's mm-hmm. about blank. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's one I very much enjoyed that will qualify for next week. Yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. Well, then let's go ahead and get things started as always with you. What was number six on your list of the best presidential films? Almost as always last week. It really threw me off. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. threw me off. I, I think just, I, I tried to reveal my number one at the end. Yeah. Before <laughs> you. I'm, I'm just so used to saying as yeah, always. Yeah. 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 Uh, but we're back to normal here. So number six for me is <clears throat> a movie that I always liked. It's like one of those things because of this writer. He's one of those writers where I'm usually on, even if he annoys me immensely, a lot of times I still come around to him and go, okay, yeah, it's pretty good. And this time it's helped by, and usually it always is helped by a pretty good cast. And that's, um, the American president, um, written by Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> uh, and starring a pretty solid cast. Um, this came in the mid nineties and it was kind of like, you know, Michael Douglas was still big time movie star, you know, still in that range. He kind of fell into that big time in the eighties with wall street and fatal attraction. And then he started doing all those 
steamy erotic thrillers yeah, yeah. he kind of got back into more this kind of mode which he's much better at falling down got him into a different mode again and then this um this is the second sorkin screenplay for rob reiner as a director and think, rob I've, reiner i think it was like the second in a row in a row so there was a yeah. few good men and then this yeah and rob reiner was still kind of in his wheelhouse at this point mm-hmm. we forget that he had a stretch where it was like holy shit man rob reiner is a pretty good director i mean you had spinal this is spinal tap you had when harry met sally princess bride and harry met sally you had few good men misery yeah he had this not only was he on like a really good run but like he could all he showed that he could also do you know vastly different genres yeah. and like and bounce back and forth romantic comedies uh childhood uh, like a, a not exactly kids but like a a fantasy adventure Stand by film. me yes yeah th- yeah that too. too that made me think of it yeah. yeah uh yeah so i mean a lot of times he has either a, a novel that he's a, a famous novel he's adapting or a very good screenwriter in this case um, and I think this is before Sorkin got really chest pumpy, you know, in his later days as we know him now, but I don't know. This movie has its problems. I don't love this movie, but it also, it, it just has an infectious kind of charm to it. it. It's funny because it comes on the, it comes prior to Martin Sheen taking that Martin Sheen's in this movie. But he would later play the president for the Sorkin show, The West Wing. Yeah, for sh- what Sorkin is most famous for, still, still to this, to this day. day. Yeah, um, and 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 there's there's so many people. Like a lot of these movies, we're probably going to talk about in this segment. The the casts are enormous on a lot of these. Yes, and this is no exception. I mean, Annette Bening is kind of just lovable in this movie. It's really, this is our first pick, obviously. It's a, it's, it's a fictional president. Michael Douglas is a fictional president who's a widower, who has a daughter, and he begins a controversial, like media presents it as a controversial relationship between him and Annette Benning, who's an environmental lobbyist. And, and that's kind of a fun dynamic, you know? In the long run, I kind of was on this movie's, I was, I was with it in the end. Because there's also, I'm not going to lie, there's that added benefit for me of the Michael J. Fox role as well. <laughs> I see. He immediately adds something to everything for me. And especially in this time. Because he was still kind of like in that, like he was hitting everything. Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy that would be really good at delivering Sorkin dialogue. And he does. He does effortlessly in this movie. So... This movie barely made my list. Um, I didn't think it was going to make it, but then we were just talking about how there's not a lot to choose from, so it it made my list. Um, I've actually never seen this. I've still never gotten around to seeing this. Wow, I'm surprised because you have a love for this era of cinema. Yeah, I 1995 know. I just when never, this movie was released. I just never got around to it. I'm a fool. And do you not have an interest or you just... No, 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 I have an interest. I just, I just couldn't. Couldn't fit it in, and I never have fit it in through all the all right. you know all the years since Fair enough. The, the twenty-five years since. I don't think it's a a rush to see it kind of thing. Yeah, get around to it at some point, but you know, number six for me is George Clooney's The Ides of March. Hmm. Um, I thought this might make your list. Yeah, and I actually did rewatch it. Um, just like super late at night one night. Um, 
Yeah, another one of those big ensemble casts. Big. You got uh, Clooney playing the presidential hopeful, the the governor of of Ohio, Mike Morris. It's his home state. He's a Cincinnati guy. Yep, there you go. <laughs> um, Ryan Gosling plays his campaign manager. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is also well. Philip Seymour Hoffman is kind of his campaign manager, and and Gosling is kind of his like uh, media specialist, I guess. Um, Paul Giamatti is the opposing candidate's campaign manager. There's also a performance. Uh, there's a, a sighting of Marissa Tomei in there. She's like the the lead reporter that gets the most you know out of them because she's really good friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Um, this is a second week in a row that we get to bring up Evan Rachel Wood. Um, yeah. she plays a character who has, who starts, uh, what appears to be a romance with Gosling's character. And then we find out that she might've had a untoward romance with a presidential candidate as well. And that's kind of where the film starts to really like take off. Like uh, Gosling is very, very idealist and he's gung ho about his candidate Clo- Clooney. Um, um, almost blindly so. And that kind of leads to his downfall. Um, there's some clever writing here. There's, you know, terrific performance. I mean, really terrific performances from everyone. It's just a little bit, it's not quite as clever as it thinks it is. And there's really nothing. It's very average from a directing standpoint. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I felt about his directing since this moment. Yeah. You know, when he first emerged with confessions of a, dang- of a dangerous mind and then good night and good luck, we were like, whoa. Clooney has got something going here yeah. behind the camera. And then it just kind of leatherheads happened. And then this was you no know, good. Yeah, it's good. But since this. Yeah, this is the last good thing he's done, honestly. As far as a director, especially. Yes. But yeah, I mean, hopefully this new one coming up soon changes that. But. Yeah, but I, I really like this movie. I just don't absolutely love it. But um, this was right in that middle wheelhouse where like Gosling could do no wrong. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was, was ab- the era. He was absolutely perfect for this role, you know. So yeah, yeah that's number six. For me. It's, it's not much like American president. You said, uh, uh, you know, it's not mandatory viewing, but you know, if you like this sort of thing, go ahead and get around to it. It's, it's a great little political thriller. So, all right. Uh, cruising right along what's number five for you. Number five for me is a film that I absolutely didn't think would make this list because when I first saw it, I was like mild on it. I like it. It's okay. But there's so many things about it that are, overdone and bloated and meandering and i still think that because i think that about this director when he takes on presidential movies and this movie is one of his multiple entries in this kind of category but for whatever reason as it went along on my rewatch i was captivated more and more by the lead performance and that's oliver stone's w um I don't know why I ultimately like this movie because there's so many things it does that I don't like. Yeah. Like Oliver Stone, when he does presidential movies, he's done a few. The performances that he gets out of actors tend to be, (sighs) you see them acting is what, is what I think. Um, there's a lot of imitations going on. Yeah. He's not, he's not a impersonation. Yeah. He's not a actor's director. He's not usually for better or worse. He's a visual director and kind of lets his, he doesn't, his directing style doesn't lend to actors inhabiting their characters as much as they're just playing them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think the only time I think that may not be the case is Tom Cruise and Born on the Fourth of July, which I think is still Oliver Stone's best movie. And I think for the record, Oliver Stone is best when he's documenting the effects of the the Vietnam War in movies as opposed to him really getting into specific presidents. Yeah. Um but Josh Brolin in this movie doesn't look the part, really. He's too good looking. For one, he's too and at rugged. First, at first, it's like, no, man, come on. Yeah. This is a little distracting. Yeah, for the first 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then there's a moment, I don't know when it happens necessarily, but he just has so much fun playing this role. And he's just kind of, at one point, you can see, he, not even in, in, a, in any kind of specific line, but mannerisms. He's like, fuck it. All right, here we go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And I'm just here. I'm, I'm, let's do it. I'm whatever you need. I'm doing it. And he's so excellent in this film at, at, at ultimately he becomes excellent in this movie that it kind of becomes the entire reason I like it. His performance, not even a stone's direction. I think there are things that stone does in most of his movies that I don't like. Um, there's weird choices he makes with, handheld and black and white and lighting that I'm just like, this is too much, man. You're, you're kind of just saying I'm great. I'm Oliver Stone. And you kind of feel that as you're watching it in this movie, there's a little less of that than some of his other movies, especially something like natural born killers. But, um, even with some of the, what I was saying, impersonation performances, there's, there's some in here. There are, there's even some that got nominated. Right. I mean, Tandy Newton is good as Condoleezza Rice, but it feels like an impersonation. It does. It feels like a like a really, really well-directed SNL skit. <laughs> it does. You know what I mean? So does. And, and she's a terrific actress. So does Richard Dreyfus. See, I... Dick Cheney. I feel the other way. I feel like Dreyfus is pretty fantastic as Dick Cheney. Like, it's skin crawly. As like much as we like Jeffrey Wright, this does also feel like a, eh, you know... Yeah, eh. I, you know... Jeffrey Wright is kind of like somewhere in the middle for me. I feel like with Jeffrey Wright, it's it's not like he doesn't look or even feel very much like Colin Powell. But for some reason, the performance itself is really solid. I feel like he is that like moral anchor, obviously, well, which is can, what Powell was during he's that, that time. kind of actor. He can find yeah. those things. He doesn't really look or sound anything like Colin Powell necessarily, but but I still feel like the the line delivery and everything. I, I I like Jeffrey Wright a lot, but maybe I'm just predisposed to yeah, you are to liking Jeffrey are. Wright quite a bit. So I'm where you are on um, Richard Dreyfus. I'm in that same level on um, James Cromwell as George Bush. Oh, senior. he's he's terrific. He not only senior. is perfect, but he looks the part too. yeah he, he looks like him yeah he it's really kind of uncanny does. yeah it's uncanny um and then you have toby jones as carl rove who <laughs> this is the second 2008 presidential movie that toby jones was in very weird to even say that toby jones was in two presidential 2008 films what was the other one are we going to mention it later we probably will okay but if we don't, I'll mention it later. Okay, gotcha. So I just thought that was so weird. Uh, Jones, it's much smaller than the other roles that we talked about, but he's yeah. very good as Carl Rove as well. I mean, he's always good. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned this not too long ago on another list, but Elizabeth Banks does prove herself worthy in this. Yeah, it was the first thing that I'd ever seen her do that wasn't comedy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ooh, this is going to be weird. 
But well, yeah. she she nails it, really. She really, really does. It was coming off the heels of all those Apatel comedies, you yeah. know, and all that. And yeah. you were like, can she do this? Yeah. I, in fact, I think this was like right after Zach and Miri make a porno. It was. It <laughs> might have been the same year. Like <laughs> earlier in the year, it was Zach and Miri make a porno. Yeah, it was, this, it was that and then this. And you were like, wait a second. But ultimately, you know, despite Stone's kind of... <clears throat> Stone can't help himself. He overindulges. But Roland anchors this movie for me. So it's at number five for me. Number five for me is um, is a film that a lot of people absolutely love. <clears throat> I just can't get there, but I see its value, and that is Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's so overblown, and it's too grandiose and too focused on way too many things, and doesn't really hone in on one one thing and just do that well. Um, but damn it, if it doesn't look magnificent. And that DDL performance is like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about a guy who does not impersonate someone. He embodies them. He never once m- had a misstep. Never I, once. You know, I wasn't rooting for him to win the Oscar that year, no, obviously. he had enough. But, um, but I understand why they gave it to him. I just, I had a, another rooting interest that year. Oh um, yeah, who was it? Joaquin Phoenix for The Master. I believe. I see. Yes. Yeah. I believe mm-hmm. that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was that year. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, he, he's still just unbelievable in it. He really, really, I mean, not, and not just how much he looks like him, but like just the voice. Like you could tell that he sat down with, with like every instance of if, if there was an audio recording or what, I don't know, but he made sure he got like all of it down. Um, and that's just the kind of, the kind of actor he is. Um, the one thing I will say though is that this movie is boring as hell. I agree. It is so dull. It's just it's scene after scene of like monologues and speeches and just it's just it's tough to sit through two and a half hours yeah, of it. Yeah, and then like you said, it doesn't decide to focus on one specific era. It just has this broad scope. And it, which, which is funny because it really only like takes place over the span of like a couple of months. But yeah, like, but it, it, it just, it, it, because it, I feel like maybe, maybe I thought of that because it begins in a certain way and ends with his assassination and it's, I don't know. It just, it takes so long to get there and it, it feels to me like if it was made in 2020, it would be a mini series or something. It, oh, it should be a mini series. It definitely would. We could say that about a lot of these movies, honestly. I, I do. Before we finish on it, though, I want to give a couple of shout outs because talk about a cast that is absolutely packed. Mm-hmm. David Strathairn. Yeah, great. Is great. Like truly, truly great in this. And he's another one of those guys that's very underrated. Great in almost everything. Yeah. Um, but what Tommy Lee Jones does is pretty brilliant. He, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is playing... He's playing a character that um, that not only is supporting uh, um, uh, uh, the abolition of slavery, but he he wants full equality, and that's just not something Lincoln's willing to do. Um, it's like it's kind of strange that Lincoln's kind of pictured as a moderate here, and Tommy Lee Jones's character like he wants he wants them to be able to vote, he wants them all to be free. Like he he doesn't think that Lincoln's doing enough. Mm-hmm. We find out later in the film it's because his wife is is black. Um, but, but Jones has to really like straddle a pretty thin line here. And um, man, Tommy Lee Jones is great in this. Another 
honestly very underrated actor. I know he's won an Oscar, but I think he's still underrated. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, there's a fun little JGL appearance as Lincoln's son. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, John Hawks shows up in this movie. Yeah, he does. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg's southern oh, accent. Yeah. God, his southern guy, accent. His southern accent is so fun. That guy. God, if we're talking underrated, holy yeah. shit, man! Uh, you can tell he's having a lot of fun doing this. This film, mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. almost cracking a smile half the time. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. He's almost like they asked me to be in this. <laughs> um, Jared Harris uh, as Ulysses S. Grant, who has the same birthday as you and I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a fun, he's only in one scene, you know, but no, uh, it's great. Fun yeah. little scene. There's a lot of people in one and then, scene or less. I and mean, then Bruce McGill plays yeah. a good guy and Finally. you don't get Bruce McGill playing a good guy Yeah, it was very like often. In the nineties, if you ever saw JT Walsh as a nice guy, you were like, whoa, holy shit. Like, how is it's this? the same thing with yeah, Bruce, McGill. Bruce McGill's the same way. He's like the 2000s version <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. exactly. That's all I got. It's an interesting film. I mean, Sally Field might've gotten over her performance. Maybe would have been kind of overblown appreciate yeah i mean i don't know it, it's a movie that was guaranteed to get attention because of the content that's the thing it is it is really oscar baity but it is but you know it's still it's still that kind of oscar bait that's like well it's still kind of good you well know? i mean the, the director is i mean it's obvious the guy is legendary for a lot of reasons but he does overindulge in certain ways and he kind of gets too into some of the historical stuff in this to where it bores you a little bit but i think if you didn't have ddl in that main role it would have been more boring it definitely brings more to the movie talk about anchoring the film because because he really just inhabits yeah he's incredible you're kind of you're you're still in you still hang on some of those scenes that are otherwise he commands your presence yeah he 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 keeps you there commands your attention yes in in scenes that are otherwise like kind of mind-numbingly yeah especially at that length yeah, two and a half hours. We're going to get more into the length of things soon. Too. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Yeah, so speaking to. of, what's number four on your list? Number four for me is actually the shortest film on this list. I think we might have the same number four. It's a very short film. Mm-hmm. I think Sans Credits, it clocks in it less than an hour and 20 minutes for me. Maybe we don't. My film is South Side With You. Oh, really? Um, Number four. The, the film by Richard Tanney that documents the walk and talk first date of Barack and Michelle Obama and in Chicago. Ironically enough, the same summer that do the right thing opened in theaters, which you actually get to see in this movie. Yeah. Um, and hear about, and which is really interesting. Um, you know, you find out some things you necessarily might not know if you didn't dive deep into their personal relationship when you watch this movie. Yeah. One of the things I really like about this movie, and I'm glad I finally got around to watching it, is the very simplistic approach to the direction of the movie. It's not fancy. It's very straightforward. In a lot of ways, the comparisons to Linklater's Before Trilogy are valid. But it's it's different than that too. Um, first and foremost, though, the casting is just absolutely ridiculous. They not only look the part, Tika Sumter and Parker Sawyer's, but they get Parker Sawyer's has a terribly tough task with playing a young Barack Obama because Barack Obama has a very particular way 
he talks. Everyone knows this, and yeah. and, and everything, not just talks, but moves and yeah, his mannerisms, you know, everything and... about him. That had to be a very daunting task. I'd say for the most part, he gets it right. Yeah. Um, Tika Sumter though is the star of this film, basically as as Michelle. Um, before she married Barack. And this is literally just the first night they met. This is what this movie depicts. It's not even an hour and 20 minutes long. It gets in and out in the right way. Um, But along the way, it brings up a lot of issues that not only black people, but black women were experiencing in the late 80s, in the workplace specifically. Um, It hits on a lot of these things kind of subtly, not it doesn't hit you over the head a lot and it there are times when the movie does allude to the fact that hey you're you're watching two iconic people you know becoming something but um it doesn't do it in a sappy way it doesn't it doesn't do it in a lifetime channel way i was a little surprised at how much i like this movie because this does have the it had the feel of, oh no, are they going to handle this in the way that will just not hit right? But there's so much in the approach by the writer-director, Richard Tenney, that constantly pulls back, constantly restrains himself in the material and says, no, this is, this is what it's about. It's not about anything much more than this night. We're just going to observe this. And even when it gets to the payoffs and the romantic payoffs, it's not overly sugar-coated and dramatic. It's just sweet. It's a very sweet movie. And it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel optimistic. And this week, I kind of needed that. Yeah, I can know? imagine. I can imagine. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you've seen this before. Yeah, I've seen this. This would have been in my top 10. Okay. This All would right. have been in my top 10. I, I, It is... It's a breezy, quick watch. It is. Lovely little performances. Nice writing. I mean, it's, it's a very solid film. It struck me a little bit this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could imagine this was a, a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the midst of all of these other things. Yeah. Something that was a breath of fresh air for me was my number four, and it was a, it was a breath of fresh air to realize that Kevin Klein's performance in Dave holds up. It's number three for me. So, okay. Number four for me, number We're three for you. We're back to back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I've always really had a soft spot for this movie, and yeah. I was really nervous to rewatch it. Same. Um, it holds the hell up, man. It really does. And and it is almost entirely because of Kevin Klein. He's remarkable, isn't it? He, I mean, you could make the case. this If we did a, his six best performances, this is near the top of it. Ooh, I don't know. I'm a huge Kevin Klein I know. fan. But this is so tricky. This is a really tricky role. It is. And, and, and I think part of the reason why this held up even more in 2020 is because the whole idea of this movie is there is this guy who resembles the president and we need to make him, we're not only going to put him in the position of the president who's ailing and basically not able to speak, but this guy's going to have his own ideas and he's going to be good. He's going to be a good person. Yeah. He's taking over for a president who's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And the longer they leave him in, in place, the more he's like, well, shit, I can actually like throw my weight around a little bit and get some, some policies that, that I believe in. 
yeah, and he's pushed around. Not a politician. That's the nice thing. That's what I love about watching no, it. I, I in think twenty twenty. I, I think I texted you and I said uh, uh, something about like this is another movie. This and in, in and out are two movies in which Kevin Klein rides around a small town on a bicycle with one of his one of his uh, <laughs> uh, pants legs cuffed under his socks so that it doesn't get caught in his in his. <laughs> Uh, in the nineties, uh, in his bicycle too. chain, yeah, in the nineties, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he's just, yeah, he's just a small town, like you know, he he runs a temp agency, a staffing, a staffing agency, um, and he really just cares about getting people employed and just helping people out. But he makes a little money on the side as impersonating the president at like a fucking car dealership. Why not? Because why not? <laughs> and the president go falls into he he has a stroke while uh, sleeping with his mistress. And falls Laura in, Linney. Yep. Falls into a coma and um, they need somebody just to to go to a couple of events until they get it sorted out. And um, this drags on and they need him to really like stick around for a while. Um, and uh, f- specifically Frank Langella's character, uh-huh. the secretary of defense or secretary of state or something. He needs him just to stick around for a while. Um, the president is almost estranged from his wife played by Sigourney Weaver, who lives in the White House with him. Um, and Ben Kingsley is the vice president who's they've sent away to Africa on uh, uh, ambassador-style uh, uh, missions. And so, yeah, Klein has to navigate this political minefield while still doing what he's told. <laughs> and um, then it turns into a romantic comedy where, like, you know, the president and the first lady are rekindling their marriage, but uh, but not really because it's a different dude. I don't know. It's just such a tricky role to play, but it is. somehow he pulls it off and it seems effortless, honestly. And the rapport between him and, and Sigourney Weaver is surprisingly delightful. I think it's good. I think the writing is just so witty. It's, it's a genuinely funny movie. It is a funny film. Like it's a really funny. Kevin comedy. Dunn gets a lot to do in this movie and I like him a lot. Yeah. This. Cause he doesn't usually get a whole lot of work yeah, either. Like, I like when him it comes to this. this sort of thing. Yeah, and, and and then you know, Langella as the foil is. A I lot mean, of fun that too. guy can embrace a villainous role. He Let's really, be really can. And we I, can talk about him more. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it just it's, I don't know. It's it's not only is it so so very funny, but it it has a lot of heart. Like I was surprised by how how the dramatic beats and the emotional beats actually still like resonated with me and actually worked overall it's still very good and it's so 90s it is so very delightfully (laughs) 90s in like the best way possible (laughs) and kevin klein i must say one more time he is charming he is funny he's affable he has everything needed to make this work yeah he's the right guy for it not only the right guy probably the only guy for it this at this point in time in 1993 yeah you could have cast this with some other people who would have fit like the dimensions and fame parameters and all of that and it would have a been entirely different and b been an an entire disaster and this is directed by ivan reitman who was in this time still in his wheelhouse like rob reiner was we mentioned earlier yeah with ghostbusters and twins and all these fun movies you could have told me this was a frank oz film and And, i mean yeah yeah, of course. Another in and out reference. All right, so that's your number three. Yeah, so we're back to you for three. Number three for me. Um, look, this is a film that I don't love. It is really, really, really long. <laughs> and <laughs> really, really, Here we are. really self-indulgent. Here we are. And it has a gigantic cast, <laughs> half of which 
are delivering like sometimes flat out bad performances Mm -hmm. and the other half delivering fantastic if we're talking about the same movie i agree we are talking about oliver stone's jfk yeah okay all right um but there's something so admirable about it in it in its scope um you know this almost i almost thought that this wouldn't count because it's about the assassination and not the president but it's so much about the president but it is so much about the president and then like more than anything it's about conspiracy theories yes. it, i mean it is like you start the longer and longer the film goes on you start tumbling down rabbit holes I mean, upon rabbit holes it's the very definition of being inside oliver stone's head yeah, this it's, movie it's craziness it, it is a batshit crazy movie but um but like it's kind of a delightful little blast to like s- to tunnel down with him and see like uh, peek inside his mind i wouldn't call it little though <laughs> oh, nope <laughs> this thing is no. big yeah and and that's why like you know i know a lot of people love this movie i and, don't get the whole and they would this is one of the great films of the last 30 years yeah there's a lot of people that are shouting right now thinking like how could this be anything other than number one well it's not on my list guys yeah. so it's yeah. not on my list yeah and i, I gotta say that it, the only reason that it's this low for me is just because it is so bloated and self-indulgent and all over the place it is it's meandering but damn it if i don't have a huge love for kevin costner and he's on fire in this thing like it's right then when he was he was hollywood's leading man he was for a while there he was the leading man maybe it only lasted like half a decade but it did it what was it started with maybe what did it start with dances with durham Durham, and then field of dreams and then dances with wolves and now and then this yeah that was about it Oh, I mean, the Untouchables. It started yep, with the Untouchables. Yep, 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 yep. So five years. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he he's perfect in this. He really is fantastic in this. And then you get lovely little performances from like, I love, I've always loved Oliver Platt. I mean, he's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm going to talk about him soon. Terrific. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I just, I, I have a real soft spot for, for so many of the actors in this film. Um, and there's just, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd how many people are in this movie. Jack Lemon is, is great in this. I know. Ed Asner is great in this. Kevin Bacon. Ke- Kevin Bacon plays a, uh, like a gay inmate at a prison who got caught up with the wrong guys. And there's one scene in particular where he's flirting with Kevin Costner and it's, it's hilarious. It makes me chuckle. Uh, Joe Pesci is <laughs> that un- performance is he's he's unhinged in this it's a and ridiculous it's, performance it's, it's awful actually yeah, like i don't like it at all it's actually. actively bad and i love joe pesci and it's not just the eyebrows and it's not just the him wig. trying to like him vacillating between <sighs> his actual new york accent and trying to do a louisiana accent but you know, for every like delightful oliver platt and jack lemon performance you get out of this you also get some pesci's yeah pesci's actively bad in this i would say yeah it's just it's so self-indulgent and just so long and meandering mm-hmm. that um, that it does wear out its welcome, despite so many entertaining things that it does. Listen, I get the appeal of it. I really do. It's a fascinating piece of work, but whew, my God, it's something to sit through. And I, I think one of the other things that Stone kind of falters on is just the the portrayal of the women in these guys' lives, the sissy spacek. Yeah role just like almost like as i mentioned in w with uh elizabeth banks elizabeth banks 
she probably could have gotten more to do. She's good yeah. in it. Stone but, is yet another one of those guys that just doesn't know how to handle female roles. They're kind of just there to say, I'm with you. Yeah. They're emotional Male who <laughs> is the center of this movie. Yeah. Uh, this movie, I really don't understand why the length is the way it is. It's over three hours I'm long. not saying it's hard to sit through. I can watch it all and be like, wow, that was fine to sit through. But at the same time, it's like, why is it that long? Why though? Yeah, exactly. You can fit this in at two hours. You could shave an hour off of this. Yes. You yes. could. And before we leave this movie, I got to mention Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. Um, he's an actor who I'm so torn on. I think he can be phenomenal, but sometimes I think he just goes way too far. I feel like this is a film in which from scene to scene, he can do both. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of <laughs> he's, teetering on both he's, ends. He's movie. really terrific in some scenes and the other scenes you're like, whoa, what was he trying to do there? Yeah. And he plays um, Lee he Harvey Oswald. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got a very got integral a pretty, role. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he's just so like, it almost feels like Gary Oldman's never on the same page as the director in almost every movie. He he listens to the notes and yeah. then throws them right out the window and does whatever the hell he yeah. wants. But yeah. hey, the guy's got an Oscar. Another movie where Tommy Lee Jones shows up as well. Yep. That, yeah. <laughs> and, a, and another like delightfully like weird role too. The guy, that guy, talking about a guy, and he's he's just good at he, everything. He's wearing a toupee the whole time. He he's, you know, it, it, like, is he gay? Is he not? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, he's and interesting. So many weird stylistic choices. We could get into that for a whole episode. I mean, we don't have to dive into that. But <laughs> Yeah, Stone and his style. Just, Stone loves his style more than anyone else does. Usually, there's some projects where he's like, I'm going to throw that out the window and just focus, but not this one. The same one. one. Yeah. What's number two for you? Number two for me is a movie where, well, well I mean, speaking of Oliver Platt, he's not the star of it, but he's in this movie. That's Ron Howard's Frost Nixon. Um, Frost Nixon is a movie that I liked when it came out. And this is the second Toby Jones 2008 presidential movie, by the way. Yes. Uh, I liked it. But I saw it in passing in the theater and was like, you know, it's pretty good. Felt Oscar Beatty a little bit. Eh, it's okay. I watched it again this week. Yeah. The restraint that Ron Howard had while making this movie was very impressive. He directs this movie like a sparring match between two boxers almost. And in doing that, he kind of finds the right note to direct a film like this. The performances he gets out of Frank Langella as Nixon and Michael Sheen, who's phenomenal as David Frost uh, I gotta say, I was enthralled watching this movie for the second time, and I hadn't seen it since 2008. Ron Howard's someone who I'm so torn on, back and forth on. I like some of his movies quite a bit. I can think of a couple off the top of my head that I love, like love, love, but they're not the ones that that most people love. Like I don't care for A Beautiful Mind that much, and I don't care for I like Apollo 13, but. Yeah. Not the Oscar winning movies, you know, yeah. like I love Parenthood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is actually one I love. And I think Rush is actually an underrated film in his category, in his uh, career as well. But um, I don't know. There's something about what he gets out of these two guys and the way he builds to the interview in this movie. Um, The two personalities and how they 
kind of clash with one another. David Frost, a young, you know, British TV personality, and Nixon after everything, and him secluded away from the world, basically. Yeah, defeated Nixon. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is actually the best Nixon I think I've... Well, I don't know about that. Might not be the best Nixon I've seen. But it is a more... It is a better Nixon than I thought it would be going into seeing it for the second time. I thought this would be a very Oscar Beatty performance, but what Langella does with this, he finds something different, finds another gear. He, he, he and Ron Howard as the filmmaker don't, they're not trying to ask you to sympathize with Nixon at all, but they also do let you peek behind the curtain a little bit and see, you know, maybe some of the things that were tormenting this person. Um, and then beyond that, you have Sam Rockwell, who's excellent in this film. When is Sam Rockwell not excellent? He's usually excellent. Especially in this time period. Yeah. Yeah. But he was on fire. Oliver Platt also getting to be in that same kind of mode with Rockwell on his team on Frost's team in this movie. Um, Matthew McFadden is the same kind of role too. He's good. Um, Kevin Bacon, another, we've mentioned him again. Yep. He is a very conservative <laughs> aide to Nixon who follows yeah. him even after Nixon resigns and is like his right hand man and is very good in this. Um, and, is, and is very loyal to him. He like, is. No, you can, it's a, you can it's tell a very he, interesting performance. Yeah, he very much respects uh, uh, Nixon and, he does. And, and wants to 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 show the country that he's not the guy that you think that he is even mm-hmm. though he clearly is but, he's but in a he bit of denial but yeah. he also just has a love for the guy yeah it's a really tricky tricky role Kevin Bacon's had a career that I think we don't give him enough credit for yeah yes he is very capable of being bad in things of course he is but he he can still be really excellent when the material's right and he understands He's it. Been kind of diverse. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I will have to mention I do like Rebecca Hall in this, but there's that other problem. We have this problem. Yeah. We were talking about this this whole segment. She's criminally underused. She's there to service whatever the male lead needs. It's unfortunate. I like her a lot. Always liked Rebecca Hall. Yeah, but like, not only does she not get enough to do in this, but this is one of those examples where you could have taken her out and put anybody else in. I know. It's unfortunate. And it wouldn't have changed the film at all. I know. Just because of the way the character is written. I know. And that's that's one of the big bummers of it. Um, But ultimately, I got around to this movie. um, Honestly, based on a few specific moments between those two, between Langella and Sheen, and very specifically one scene, a phone call, and a scene where Nixon gives a big, big kind of monologue. And then later on, when when Frost asks him about that night, he doesn't remember making the phone call at all. And which then, adds this mysterious quality to the whole thing. And then later, later on, when Nixon asks him, did we really have that conversation? What did we talk about? And he said, cheeseburgers. And then the movie ends. And it's fascinating. Yeah fascinating yeah it left and that left me kind of high on it yeah so that's two for me number two for me um well we where's the where's the horn for back-to-back oliver stone films where 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 where, where, where's the horn for it because number two for me is w 
Okay. I now, thought that would be on your list. I didn't know it'd be this high. Well, uh, you know, I think it was also number two on my list, uh, my no apologies list of movies. Thankfully, Nick's, I'm glad you didn't say Nixon. The Anthony Hopkins role. <laughs> <laughs> that was another one that I've not seen and I wasn't about to sit well, through three it. hours of that. Yeah. But no, I've always loved W for some weird reason. I, like you mentioned, we won't stay long on it, but like Brolin's performance is magnetic. It's very good. Um, uh, I think Dreyfus is like it's creepily great as Dick Cheney. I mean, it's it's kind of terrifying how how well he embodies him. Like the swagger, the un- unwarranted swagger of Dick Cheney. He does have the exact kind of look. Yeah, too, down. Um, the the Toby Jones playing Carl Rove. You know, on down the list, there's a lot of like bit players in it. Again, Bruce McGill shows up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Colin Hanks is in this thing. Yeah, Colin. Yes, he does. <laughs> I mean, it's a really big, interesting cast. Um, but uh, yeah, Roland is just, he's, he's incredible in it. It's just, man, Stone just, he does so many like stylistic things. It, it's kind of strange how similar he is to Danny Boyle sometimes. Yeah, I agree with in that. In that like he'll make these like weird stylistic flourishes that are a completely unnecessary <sighs> and b actually distracting. They're there to please himself. And that is and it. That's why, that's what I meant when I said that like nobody likes Oliver Stone's style as much mm. as he likes it. Mm. He's the only one that's fascinated with it the way that on the level that he is like, it's kind of bizarre. Um, and that kind of thing would normally sink a movie, but man, Brolin is, He's terrific. He's very good. At he's this. really terrific. And like you said, he doesn't look like him hardly at all. Uh, there are times when he does. Yeah, but, but he's not for the most part. He's too broad shouldered and rugged. And like you said, handsome mm-hmm. and like, you know, stone jawed to be W. But he, but he plays, embodies it at some point. He, he just does. Somehow he really taps into that aloofness. <sighs> I don't know how he does it. I really don't. And, and you would think that with Oliver Stone handling this material that it would just be very biting and eviscerate W and no, it paints him more as, as a people person, a real people person who has a lot of social intelligence, but that's about it and was entirely unqualified it's a for, pretty, for his role. It's a lighter approach than you would expect from yeah. Oliver Stone. Yeah, it, it really does kind of drive home the, the idea that, that Cheney was the sinister one in that office mm-hmm. and that W just happened to be very um, easily manipulated and he just wanted to please people all the time. First his dad, clearly, but more so he just wanted people to like him no mm-hmm. matter what. He just really wanted people to like him and he was doing whatever he thought was best, maybe not always for the country, but in order to get people to like him, you know, um, sure. but completely unqualified for the role in which he was thrust into. Um, that while that might not be entirely, entirely true, I would probably go a little step further and say that there was some malevolence there, but maybe not as much as some people want to make. Um, I do think that, that was, an interesting choice for Stone to kind of frame it in that way because, um, yeah, that was unexpected from a guy who, who is so outspoken like Stone is. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why this is my favorite Oliver Stone presidential film. Yeah. Um, we've come to number ones. We have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number one for me is probably the only one I was pretty certain would stay in its spot for me. 
And that's Robert Altman's Secret Honor. I figured this was going to be number one for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. This would have been number seven for me. This is, uh, I mean, it's based on a play, quite obviously, when you're watching this movie. Um, this came in a period for Oliver Stone when he was kind of out of the limelight. In the 70s, he spent a ton of time being noticed. He was the most prolific American filmmaker of the 1970s and then kind of fell by the wayside. And then in 1984, he made this film. I wouldn't necessarily say it brought him back. There would be later films that would bring him a little bit back. But um, it's an interesting choice. Philip Baker Hall is the only person in this movie. And he plays Richard Nixon, who spends a night in his offices uh, just drinking and confessing things. Yeah, he spends the night in his office with three other characters. A gun, a glass of whiskey, and a microphone. (laughs) I guess you could say those are characters, yes. Um, And what I love about this is that this fascinating fictional account of a version of what could have happened. What if Richard Nixon did say all these things into a recorder and um, did get this dangerous within him, his own thoughts? And what if it was documented? And <laughs> Yeah, what, what if he got a little liquored up and loose-lipped and decided to get confession-y? Of all the presidents, this is the one where you would be like, where, what if that happened? Yeah, where, this is the one that you would want that to happen to. Right. And so <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. Um, I thought it was fascinating that Altman would want to make this into a film. It's it's the exact length it needs to be. It's 90 minutes. Um, and it is a opportunity for um, an underappreciated actor to just get everything he had never gotten before and go with it. Um, Philip Baker Hall is... Uh, I've always loved the actor. I think, I think I can't hardly think of another movie other than maybe Heart Eight where he's gotten this kind of, I mean, an extensive kind of lead role. Yeah. Um, we, this is, uh, we hear his voice almost every episode on this show. And that's yeah, true. In the mid break section, when we take a break, we hear, we hear the clip from him from Magnolia. So yeah. we, I mean, we are big fans of his. Big fans of his. We're big fans of that particular movie. I think that's and and he's getting older and older. <sighs> he's still alive, which is nice. Yeah, but he doesn't. I don't know how many great roles he's got left in him because there's not a whole lot of him in anything lately. Opportunities for septuagenarians such as himself. It's true, but we can keep honoring him. And this movie, I think, this is Altman's way of honoring this actor. Um, and my God, you know. Last, when I was talking about Frost Nixon and I'd mentioned that Langella was probably the best Nixon, I was like, wait, shit. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, you don't mean that. Yeah, no, this is the best (laughs) Nixon performance. This is shocking. He is the one who looks most like Nixon, too. Not, I think Langella might be the one who sounded most like, maybe he's the one who sounded most like him. Anthony Hopkins, I'm sorry. I like you, dude, but. Nothing. He Come doesn't on. have the nose for it. He doesn't have the voice for you it. You got the ha- you can the haircut can happen. That's yeah, you can do that. Well but, shit, anybody could do that. Right. But Philip Baker Hall has the nose, definitely. Mm-hmm. And he's already got the whole the whole the furrowed brow. Yeah, everything of the head. And yeah. the hair even. Yeah. 
And so that adds an extra bit of fascination to the role. Yeah. And the way this movie just descends more into chaos, even with just, you know, and it's not, it never becomes boring. It's like, what if you were to sit and watch this as a play? You wouldn't be bored. It's the same thing as watching the film. I think this is an excellent piece of work. And partly due to the weakness of the category, this remains number one for me. So for my number one, when I was doing my pre-week rankings, you know, it's, I've told you many times that I, I make my top six before I watch anything and then shuffle things around as I go through mm-hmm. the week. This was at like number four, number five. And then I realized how weak the category was. And then I rewatched it and it shot all the way up to number one. And that's Ron Howard's Frost Nixon. Okay. I was hoping this would be on your damn list. This was a really rewarding rewatch, man. Very good film. This is, this is an example of Oscar bait done right. It never feels like it while you're watching it. That's how you know that it's done right mm-hmm. because it tricks you into, you know, it's got an Oscar Beatty director in Ron Howard. It's got two big bombastic lead performances that were written on the page just to garner awards nominations, but yet they were perfectly cast by two actors that absolutely nail it and are, I mean, are polar opposites. Michael Sheen is, uh, he's fantastic in this He's amazing. He really, really is. I mean, you get, you get, you, he's able to express everything that this character needs you to understand in order to really get him. You have to understand that, that he exudes confidence and, and even egotism while still being a little bit, um, self-conscious and and uh not so self-assured because he's had little slip-ups and and failures in his career but But, ultimately a good person as well but ultimately a good person even though he might be a little egotistical oh absolutely um and then we i mean that's really difficult to do but michael sheen nails that really really nails that. what a tremendous actor um and we i've already mentioned how much i love oliver platt he's great he's lovely in it rockwell terrific Terrific as, and, and they really help. He gets a lot of scenes with those two actors to really play off of them. And this is, that's what makes it such a great ensemble. And then you get to Langella's Nixon. Um, again, it's, it's the second film on the list that has Langella in it. Uh, so we had two Langellas and two Kevin Bacons because of this movie as well. But um, man, Langella is, he's, he's amazing. He, uh, Look, the guy has a whole filmography of great performances, but this is one one of one for the ages. Again, if we did his a, best performance. If we did pick six, this would be on it and really high up. Yes. Yeah. It might be his best. I don't know. There are a couple scenes where you're just like floored by him in this movie. Yeah, and just, you know, this is the kind of thing where it's it's a lot of just sitting down interviews talking and then the fallout from each of those interviews and then everybody's got to go back and, and retool and but it and, keeps moving the pacing's great and the editing is excellent exactly and that's the kind of thing like on paper you'd think like how how are you going to shoot this and mm-hmm. actually not bore the hell out of people? exactly somehow they do it and it's it's a feat it's ron howard really really like found the right pacing and the right tone and really knocked this thing out of the damn park i was really really impressed i believe i was at a four the first time i watched it um, I don't know if I'm quite at a four and a half on this, but I'm pretty damn close to I'm close to, to. 
This is a yeah. very good film. Because it's really hard to find faults with it other than what you've already mentioned with like, you know, Rebecca Hall. it really, really dropping the ball with the female roles, or at least the female role, basically. Only it's, one and they drop the ball on it. Exactly. Yeah. And and you could have, you could have put, you know, Keira Knightley in there. It wouldn't have made a difference. You know I, I know. Mean? It's unfortunate. Um, But ultimately, this is a pretty fantastic. It's a very good it's film. A pretty in this category, movie, yeah. it is a very good film. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, You know, we said we weren't going to go long on this at all. Where are we at? <laughs> oh, I, I don't even want you to know. I'm not even going to tell right. you. I'm not even going right. to tell you. Just to let you know, we're probably going to end up at the exact same, <laughs> exact same that, we, that well, we all of our episodes much, are. As much um, crossover, crossover as, we thought, as I thought we would. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I, we didn't have the, the first daughter starring Katie Holmes in this. You know? I can't believe we did not. Or, or Sinbad's the first kid. See, that was going to be like four initially for me. But yeah, yeah, but then these other rewatches mm-hmm. just, just, just bumped it just off the list. Yeah, Head of State almost made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Man of the Year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's go right into the throwback challenge. All right, while let's we, go. While we still have a captive audience. Yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and start with me because I took the, the shorter route. Yeah, okay. Uh, you gave me a 39-minute short film that won the Academy Award for Best Short Film at the 2001 Oscars. I've been meaning to give this to you for a while. Which means it came out in 2000. Yeah. Written and directed by Ray McKinnon. Um, produced and co-starring Walton Goggins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a third fella in the film. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he looks a lot like the third Wilson brother. Oh, Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson. Yeah, yeah he kind of looks like him. And it, it's called The Accountant, not the Ben Affleck f- film, which we already did on a throwback <laughs> challenge. It. We already This is the second time we've done a film called The Accountant on the throwback challenge. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and get it out of the way early. This one's better. Um, oh, I'm glad you think this one's better. Oh, well, I'm sure you were holding your breath. Um, <sighs> yeah, look, this film did not win the Academy Award for Best Short Film because it's fantastically directed or or that it's beautifully shot or anything not that it's shitty um it has a i was very low budget i was really annoyed with the quality of the picture that amazon gave me mm-hmm. but um it's because this thing the writing is incredibly good i mean the the writing is phenomenal um and it's delivered by a couple of really good actors, but Ray McKinnon. McKinnon man, himself. It helps that he wrote it himself. But I mean, how after seeing this, how did casting directors not like start fighting each other in the street to He's get amazing to, to get to this guy's front door? He's incredible in this film. Yeah, he uh, his comedic timing is <laughs> is in, uh, yeah, it's incredible to to borrow your your word. It really is incredible, and and he still. He still manages to be like kind of creepy at times and like, you know, get, hit you with the emotionally resonant stuff. Um, you could see why Goggins was on his way to being the star. He's a lot. He, he's very good in this and he's fun when he needs to be. Um, and the script is so fun. It's 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 whip smart. It's fast. It's it's, you know, rapid fire dialogue. But holy cow, Ray McKinnon, man, it's it's the kind of performance that you'd think in lesser hands, if you gave this to a big studio, they would make a feature length about it and it would star Jim Carrey instead. He kind of resembles Jim Carrey in a way. He does. He's got that tall, lanky thing going on. Very expressive in mm-hmm. his eyes. 
Um, there's little gags of physical humor. Um, but this is so much smarter than anything Jim Carrey had done prior to the year 2000. Yeah, there's a mysteriousness to the character, you know. It, exactly. Immediately. And where it starts out and then where it ends up going is mm. quite a surprise. You know, um, I had to pause it to, to get, you know, a, a, to refill my bre- beverage. Uh, I watched it last night. Um, and I saw that there was 15 minutes left. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I could honestly sit through another hour of this. It could be a feature length, I think. It, it should have been almost. Um, this was really, really great. Really, Good. really I'm great. Really pleasantly surprised in, that in you 39, enjoyed this much. In 39 minutes, it takes so many twists and turns within the narrative that um, I just kept being surprised. I just kept being surprised by where it was going and and how how well written it was. I mean, that's why it won this award. I'm convinced is because of McKinnon's. The writing is excellent. McKinnon's transformative performance here. But then, yeah, the the just absolutely like top notch writing. Yeah. yeah, he's extremely funny, but still somehow being a little unpredictable and kind of like, what is this guy all about? Yeah, I really wish that he had become quite the star because like i said that I mean he should have been cast in everything after this um speaking of really well written and surprisingly funny at times i'm dying to know what you thought of chunking express chunking express um yeah i watched this a few days ago uh <laughs> i think it's very funny actually i think there's a lot of comedy like more than I thought there would be in yeah. this movie. Um, this movie is basically separated into two halves. Each half being focused on one officer. They're kind of, they're not named necessarily. They're <laughs> numbered. Yeah, they're just Hong Kong <laughs> cops with numbers, with yeah. badge numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, One of them is cop 223 and the other one's cop 663. And the first cop played by Takishi Kaneshiro, who I actually, when I was looked looked him up, I was like, oh, I've seen this guy before in House of Flying Daggers a long time ago. Okay. I saw that in the theater. Yeah. And I didn't recognize him, obviously. It's been a long time since I've seen House of Flying Daggers, but this guy is incredibly young in this film. He looks very young, and I looked it up, and he was 21 when this was filmed. Um, He is a lonely guy, and he's pining over the love he lost and he's spending an entire month basically <laughs> buying a can of pineapple that expires on a certain date because that's her name her name is may and he buys a pineapple cans expired on may 1st because he thinks if he does that for every single day for a month he thinks that if he doesn't hear from her by the end of that month then he can expect to move on um, which is a kind of a funny idea to begin with. Yeah, but well, like, what a clever idea to to like write into a film. It's just right. it's that's kind so of, original. You would maybe. think that started the whole idea for this movie. Um, maybe not. I haven't looked into that, but this guy is also a cop, and he's also got a pretty demanding job, and you find that out in different sequences. Um. And between his story and a woman who's not named in a blonde wig, 
she's basically known as the woman in the blonde wig <laughs> played by Bridget Lynn. Um, you kind of see each of their stories before they meet and then you see them meet and it's, a uh, it's intriguing. It's, um, it's, it is the setup to the first half of the movie. And then there's another officer played by the gentleman who's the star of the movie we also saw before this in the mood for love. Uh, and that's Tony Lung. Yes. Um, he's a little bit of an older officer and it's probably in his late twenties. Right. Yeah. And he's, you know, not unlike the other one in, in certain ways. Lovelorn. Right. Lovelorn, um, visits the same restaurant, <laughs> Midnight Express. Um, that the movie's kind of based on. Um, mm-hmm. that this is where most of the movie takes place. Yes, at this like kind of storefront grill kind of <laughs> you know restaurant. Yeah, and the guy who kind of runs the place is very fun yeah. and such a great personality. Um, and then you have you have Fei Wong, who is probably the best part of this film, as. One of the uh, employees of this restaurant, um, who is <laughs> meandering in life at the moment and kind of just careless a little bit. Yeah, she's, she's very young as well. She's meandering in life and she doesn't really care. Doesn't care at all. She does that to doesn't the point where she'll doesn't bother her. Invade a home and just hang out and mess around with things. Sure, why not? Um, a lot goes on in this movie. Uh, I would say. My experience with it is a little less than you because I was affected by one of the things that get to me aesthetically. We have to get to this. It had to come up. The choppy moments of this movie where there are scenes where people, the cop, one of the cops is chasing someone down. Like a... Uh, 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 an alleyway yeah. and, 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 and the, or the woman in the blonde wig is shooting someone. Um, it's that very nineties music video style, very Chinese Hong Kong cinema style, like editing. Yeah. That you get. It, it's almost like an anime kind of thing too. It's, it, it, it just doesn't mesh with my senses. So when those things happen and they do happen, it's not a lot of the movie, but it happens here and there Mm -hmm. and they immediately take me out of the moment where I'm involved so much in something. I get that. That, that, That's the only reason it hits me. That's the only thing that keeps this from being five stars for me Mm -hmm. is that I'm, I'm still, you know, I still am very invested in this film overall, but those things happened often enough where I was taken slightly out of it. Mm-hmm. slightly but overall i think the the human interaction and the the way that Wong Kar Wai leaves you with these characters is very fitting too i think in in the mood for love for me is better i just think it's better because it's more i think um the approach to how it's executed more fits me um, I get that, but um, I do still really like it. I'm at a four on it. I think that the first half of the film is really, really good, and I think the second half of the film is absolutely transcendent 
and among the best romantic comedy work I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I mean, I'm absolutely just enraptured by the second half of this film. It's some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen. That's, I mean, I think that's why I'm so in love with it. Um, and the nineties were the decade for the manic pixie dream girl. Oh, well, and Faye Wong is maybe the, she might be ultimate. She might be the ultimate, she might be the ultimate manic pixie dream girl of that entire decade. It's, it's, uh, you can see why he is, he is so into her. Would we have seen characters like, uh, Natalie Portman in garden state or, uh, Scott Pilgrim, maybe, maybe, or even, What's uh what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh Zoe Deschanel in Five Hundred Days of Summer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These kind of characters. Would they exist without that character? I don't know. They don't probably know. would, but I don't think they would be as informed. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I I I love In the Mood for Love. Don't get me wrong. We both gave it four and a half or five stars. Um and while I feel like it's better on the whole throughout its entire running time. Uh, as much as I do love the first half of this film, it's not it's not as good as the whole of In the Mood for Love. I just, something about the second half of this film just absolutely takes my I don't blame away. you. I really don't. Um, so we have a throwback request for next week's show. Why don't you take a moment and tell our listeners what the two of us will be throwing back next week. We're not challenging one another. A listener has said, uh, the gauntlet has been thrown down and you shall watch this. Yeah, so we have a throwback request from a mutual friend of ours, Eric Sperlin. He recently emailed us about a fairly recent movie that he watched that I had never heard of and I don't think you have. No, I had never heard of it. So so Eric um, spent uh, the last several years uh, on a cruise ship being the band director on a cruise ship, the Carnival Cruise, something like that. And so, you know, movie options were few and far between and, you know, streaming options were few and far between. So he relied on like a, like a big um, CD case full of, of burned DVDs. And this was one that he happened to happen upon when he, when he was digging them up and he found this and was just like, all right, whatever. And just popped it in one night. And apparently it, it did a number on him. Yeah. It's from 2015. It stars, I believe Anthony Hopkins and it's called solace. And I looked it up very briefly after he emailed us and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm down to do this. Let's do it. Anthony Hopkins and Colin Farrell. And I know nothing about the plot. I looked it up very briefly. Um, I don't know much about it either, but I'd like to go into it that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to going in completely blind. Half because Eric recommended that I that I go in completely blind. True. So, Let's do it. Uh, if I'm gonna be challenged, I might as well take the challenge seriously. Let's go. So, so that will be our throwback challenge for next week, and uh, you know, that's actually our show for today. Um, pretty pretty on track, on par. <laughs> As far as runtime goes, I know you don't want to hear that, but, uh, but look, here we are. Um, remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonica and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a, re- a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send your suggestions, just like Eric did, for throwback challenges to the filmharmonica at gmail.com. We will be back next week with a tentative slate of new films, the first of which is the Kevin Costner Diane Lane vehicle. Let him go. 
And that'll be followed by the Eva Green astronaut drama Proxima. So depending on the availability and viability of either or both of those films, we will have reviews of them on our next episode. Let's hope. Let's hope we can get some new films in here. Um, But for sure, we're going to have a pick six segment and we will head down a similarly themed path and rank our choices for the six best news slash media themed films of all time. Because if not now, then when? I mean, it's going to be a crazy news week. Yes. Yeah. That's you and I had this kind of planned in advance that we would do presidents during the election. And then because of this very unique election, the uh, the news and the media are going to play a much heavier role than they ever have, and so let's let's um, applaud the men and women of the uh, of the news and media. Why not by showing the by talking about the six films that uh, that portray them best? So let's do it. I think we're going to have a bigger crop to choose from this time. Yeah, I think this is this is going to be a a much bigger and better slate of films mm-hmm. to to draw from. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I guess we're going to go into the rest of tonight with uh, trepidation a little bit, but cautious yeah, optimism. I, I, yes, cautiously optimistic is is what I'm going into. I have to, um, I got to make a stop at Dairy Queen. I've been requested to pick up a mint Oreo Blizzard. Okay. Um, as for just emotion, That would be my choice. For emotional support for, for, uh, for my better half. And then, uh, yeah, then we'll be glued to our television sets until about mid. Yeah. So that's what we're in for uh, good luck good luck everyone um i hope the world still is is here tomorrow when you i wake hope up. we see you next time uh i mean i have a feeling we'll see you next time we should all right on the film harmonic Neck brace. Substitute.